This week in KMA Land, Page County Courthouse window replacement moves forward. New developments regarding Summit Carbon Pipeline Project. November bond issue vote set in Clarenda School District. Clarenda football coach terminated. New Shen SRO introduced. Fremont County honors Cresselius upon retirement. I'm Mike Peterson. After considerable discussion, the Page County Courthouse's window replacement project is back on track. By a two-to-one vote Thursday evening, the county's Board of Supervisors approved a motion to move forward with the project with compensation from Pella Corporation regarding a cosmetic mistake with a masonry band's alignment on the courthouse windows. A majority of the supervisors opted for a delay in the project until officials with Pella's corporate office provided figures on potential reimbursement for the error. Supervisor Judy Clark, who favored continuing the new windows installation, says project manager James Fine of Fine & Sons had yet to hear from Pella officials regarding reimbursement. I would think that they would uh, be getting a bad name from this, so, uh, but it's in the hands of corporate. Evidently they had figures, but corporate has not gotten back to us. Participating in the meeting remotely, Supervisor Todd Mayher speculated the delay is coming from Pella's sales office rather than its corporate end. Mayher motioned for the project's resumption, expressing confidence the company would compensate the county for the mistake adequately. If we go ahead and use what we have and or go ahead and move forward, even though they weren't correct to our drawing, I think Pella would still give us some sort of discount moving forward. Because it was wrong. Clark called for a vote on proceedings, saying the window project must be done before fall and winter set in. I think we're going to take whatever they offer and move forward, but I think we need to move forward now and get this job done, as you say, Todd. Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes voted against the motion, reiterating he wanted to see Pella's reimbursement figures before moving forward. In other business, the supervisors, by a two-to-one vote, rejected the low bid of Caterpillar for new motor graders covered under the county's fiscal 2024 budget for new equipment. County engineer J.D. King recommended the board accept Cat's bid of more than $715,000 for the equipment. However, both Holmes and Mayer voted against the motion, saying they wanted to review John Deere's bid of more than $729,000. Clark voted in favor, saying the supervisor should accept King's recommendation. New developments concerning a controversial carbon pipeline project piqued KMA land residents' interest this week. Recently, the North Dakota Public Service Commission denied a route permit for Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed Midwest Express pipeline through its state. Summit officials filed an application in October of last year to construct approximately 320 miles of CO2 pipeline in North Dakota. In making its ruling, the three-member commission stated the company failed to take steps to address outstanding legitimate impacts and concerns expressed by landowners during public hearings in June or demonstrate why a remote reroute is not feasible. Commission members also stated Summit failed to adequately address requests for additional information on a number of issues that came up during the hearings. West Township resident Jan Norris is one of KMA Land's vocal critics of the proposed pipeline. Norris reacted to the North Dakota development at Tuesday's Montgomery County Board of Supervisors meeting. Please note, the final vote included an amendment stating that public safety is a very extensive point. They acknowledged the counties who work diligently on the safety of their communities by setting local ordinances. 
You might remember two North Dakota counties have passed aggressive ordinances with very robust setbacks. Norris says North Dakota is Summit's final destination for the pipeline project. Because they neglected to meticulously supply all of the information North Dakota required and have, quote, not taken steps to address outstanding legitimate impacts and concerns expressed by landowners, end quote, they now could be looking at a significant delay in the ability to obtain a permit there. This will likely generate a flood of objections and motions to delay in other states and reinforces calls for a moratorium. Norris is among those pushing Montgomery County to pass local regulations for pipeline projects. Last month, the supervisors unanimously approved a motion to not take action on a proposed ordinance regulating carbon capture projects, citing a federal judge's recent ruling granting Summit an injunction preventing Shelby County from enforcing its own ordinances regulating the pipeline. At the July 25th meeting, Supervisors Chair Mike Olson says the county has no home rule on the interstate pipeline project. This could change. The IUB can't do it, but the state legislature or the federal government could change how this ruling is. But from what we've, we've gone through, what I've read and we've gone through today, we have no rule. We have no home rule when it comes to pipelines, interstate pipelines at this time. And that may change. Summit officials say the company plans to address the commission's concerns and resubmit its application in North Dakota. In the meantime, officials continue to arrest so-called misconceptions regarding its carbon sequestration project. Kaylee Langrill of Turnkey Logistics, who handles most of Summit's non-environmental permitting, briefed the Page County Board of Supervisors Thursday night on the latest developments surrounding the company's proposed Midwest Express CO2 pipeline. She also addressed some of the so-called misconceptions regarding the proposed pipeline, which would stretch more than 700 miles through a good portion of western Iowa, including counties in KMA land. Langrill says one misconception is that Summit will not repair any damage associated with the pipeline's installation. She says easement language spells out repair provisions. So if you are a landowner, you can um, find it in Section 4 of your easement, uh, restoration. So the company shall repair or, if company deems necessary, replace the damaged portion of the tile, terrace, uh, or irrigation system. So that's kind of the uh, key language there in easement. Another misconception is that landowners cannot acquire liability insurance for the project. Langrill says the situation is twofold. No, a landowner will not be able to acquire liability insurance on the pipeline. Um, and that is simply because they do not own it. So Summit Carbon Solutions is responsible um, for that liability. Uh, as far as general land uh, liability insurance, there shouldn't be any issues there. You know, the pipeline's running along across the country today, including CO2 pipelines, and it doesn't affect the, um, anyone's uh, general liability policy. And contrary to comments circulating the project, Langrill says the pipeline cannot be sold to another entity. A lot of times in, a, in an easement, you won't see that one pipeline, um, and that's where, you know, another easement, another pipeline could be added following the one that's already there. Our easement, we make sure to add one pipeline and specify it for carbon dioxide. So if the company wanted to come and buy our easement, um, they would have to keep that language or renegotiate with landowners and essentially start the whole process over again.
Langrill says Summit has secured approximately 72% of the easements in Iowa, including 70% in Page County. When pressed by Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes on whether Summit plans to use eminent domain to secure other land required for the project, Langrill replied, we don't want to. Our goal from the very beginning has been to work with people as much as we possibly can. And I would say, you know, in the cases where people aren't signing, um, and, you know, if they don't ever, um, you know, it's because they simply haven't sat down and talked with us. Because usually when we can get in front of people, um, we can show them that we are willing to work with them and we can do, um, you know, the Iowa Utility Board's public hearings on Summit's Iowa application begin August 22nd. Big decisions regarding school facilities and a personnel matter dotted Wednesday's Clarinda School Board meeting agenda. By unanimous vote Wednesday afternoon, the Clarinda School Board approved a resolution placing a referendum for an $11 million bond issue on the November 7th general election ballot. Lorenda School Superintendent Jeff Privia tells KMA News the second attempt at passing a bond issue follows a lot of work by supporters, including the district's facilities committee, in the wake of a previous referendum's defeat earlier this year. We did listening sessions. We had about four or five of those listening sessions where we gathered as much information as we could about what did we like about the last bond, what didn't we like about the last bond. And then we went right into a four community sessions, just like we had done before, reorganizing and prioritizing what we need out of this bond issue, knowing that we couldn't go for uh, $4.04. That committee and the surveys told us that the community really liked the idea of doing a $2 bond and getting as much done as we can with that. Though slightly scaled back from the $14 million bond issue rejected in March, Privia says the new referendum still addresses some of the district's big facilities needs. We're going to look at our CTE science and fax rooms. Those are going to get renovated, brought up to date. High school media will be renovated, um, a new library area for online classes and more of a sitting area for students to gather to do homework when they have free periods. Also, the special ed department will move into the old offices. Once we get those set, that'll all be reorganized. And also included are safe and secure entryways and additional parking at the pre-K-6 building and renovation of Clarenda High School's auditorium. Heating and air conditioning work is divided between the bond issue and a separate project using a secure advanced vision for education or save dollars. Of a more immediate concern is the elementary building's failing heat pumps. Privia believes placing the second referendum on the November citywide and school board election ballot could make a difference this time around. Personally, I'm having it stand alone, probably a little easier for schools. You get a little better information of what the community is thinking. But with us already having a failed bond issue, I think we have that information and putting it on this ballot in the way the state has actually set it up that we can only do that in November. We're going to push forward and try to get that passed and get that supermajority. A 60% supermajority is necessary in order for the bond issue to pass. In addition to setting the bond issue vote, the board approved the sale of the property at 1180 South 16th Street, otherwise known as the former Shopco building, to Clarinda Carnegie Museum for $421,000. And Colin Bevins is no longer head coach of Clarinda High School's football squad. Following a closed session late Wednesday afternoon, the board approved Bevins' termination. 
Bevins was arrested shortly after midnight, July 30th, at the River Ruckus Music Festival at South 5th Street and Guthrie Center. He was charged with public intoxication, possession of a controlled substance, marijuana first offense, and possession of drug paraphernalia. Bevins was placed on administrative leave pending the board's action following Wednesday's closed session. Previous's two assistants, Roger Williams and Connor Hannafin, will serve as co-head coaches for the 2023 season. Previous says the head coaching position will be advertised next spring. Safety and guidance are two of the main goals of Shenandoah's new school resource officer. Shenandoah City Council recently approved David Erickson to the position. Erickson served on the Atlantic Police Department for more than 25 years, the last five as police chief. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Monday morning, Erickson reflected on the number of youth-related programs implemented during his tenure with Atlantic PD. One of them was like the kids camp out where we take kids during the summer for three days, two nights, all expenses paid from free will donation. We took these kids out camping to show them that, you know, cops were, were good people. And, and, you know, we worked with them on that. We did was it five to eight-year-olds, I think, or six to eight-year-olds for the zoo trip where we took them to the zoo for a day. We did Halloween programs. We did Christmas family deals for Christmas time and also shopped with a cop. Just numerous little things like that. One of nine original applicants, Erickson says he sought the position after speaking with Shenandoah Police Chief Josh Gray. Erickson says he applied because he missed law enforcement work and working with kids. Kind of missing the work. I mean, I enjoy being out in the public and all that, and I was missing interaction with the youth, and I guess it's kind of hard to explain, but it's a, it's a calling. It's not a job. When I heard about it, I was like, you know, I need to go back because I was just missing all of that. In addition to providing security, school officials say Erickson will be actively involved in mentoring and character development programs for students. Erickson says the security aspect of his job is important in today's society. He'll also work alongside the district's administrators and instructors, and he looks forward to meeting and getting to know the community's youth. One of the mainstays of Fremont County government and the dean of KMA Land Emergency Managers was celebrated in Sydney last Saturday morning. Family and friends packed the gathering place for a retirement brunch for Mike Cresselius, who stepped down Tuesday after 15 years as the county's emergency management coordinator. Cresselius guided the county's emergency response through the historic 2011 and 2019 Missouri River floods, the December 2021 derecho, numerous tornadoes, blizzards, ice storms, and other situations. Cresselius told KMA News he was humbled by the brunch's turnout. Well, considering my wife was in charge of it and was trying to surprise me. I'm quite impressed. I'm not sure if they're here to see me off or to make sure I'm leaving. <laughs> no, I feel that I navigated the county through two floods, 2011 and 2019, and I have a lot of relatives that are here, but I got a lot of people from the west portion of the county that I helped during the two floods. For them to be here, that means a lot to me. Priscilla says he channeled three important principles learned as a Marine to help him and the county cope with various disasters over the past decade and a half. Improvise, adapt, and overcome. The Marine Corps teaches you to take care of your people. That's what I've done for 15 years. I've taken care of my people because I consider the people of this county, they're my people. i got to take care of them. And that's uh, what I came back home to do was I wanted to do something for the people here that I called Fremont County home the whole time I was in the Marine Corps, and that's why I came back here. I wanted to do something for my county and my people. Suddenly it says it's the people he'll miss the most about his job.
Perhaps the biggest thing he won't miss is the rumor-mongering complicating the response to every disaster. That's why he says he appreciated local media outlets like KMA for getting the correct information out. That's what I enjoyed about you guys calling and talking to me. I could get information out that way and through my Facebook page to try and curtail the rumors that were started by people that really didn't know what was going on. As for Cresselius's retirement plans? Well, that depends on who you talk to. <laughs> Teresa has a list about two pages long of things she wants me to do around the house. But I've told her that, uh, that that's fine and dandy until hunting season comes. Because uh, with this, I says, it's a win-win. She says, what do you mean? I says, Monday through Friday, I can go out in the woods and hunt. Saturday and Sunday, I'm home with you. And I says, the advantage to that is there's fewer people in the woods Monday through Friday. Maselli's wife, Teresa, is a former Ringgold County Emergency Management Coordinator. Emergency officials from numerous KMA land counties were among those in attendance at last Saturday's event. Much of Tuesday night's Shenandoah City Council meeting was spent preparing for the next regular council meeting. Numerous public hearings were set for the council's August 22nd regular meeting. One such hearing is set for a proposed amendment to city ordinances regarding park and recreation board members' terms. Councilman Kim Swank says the park board proposes reducing members' terms from six to four years. Uh, Park board members are elected for six years. Six years is a long time commitment. And they don't get paid anything, and they spend a lot of time on it. And they thought that it would help when they they got like they got two terms this year, and uh, so if they cut it back to four, and uh, a four-year term, it'd be easier for somebody in it. A person could make an, a commitment for four right. years rather than six. Other August 27 public hearings are set for proposed amendments to the city's cemetery ordinances regarding sales of lots and perpetual care and rules regarding markers and decorations. Another public hearing that evening concerns authorizing a loan agreement and the issuance of notes not to exceed $3 million. That same night, the council holds the delayed public hearings on proposed raises for the mayor and council members. Publication issues forced the city to postpone hearings originally scheduled for Tuesday night by two weeks. Council members also set a public hearing for September 12th on the acceptance of bids for construction of two new water wells. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman says the city is rebidding the projects due to an unsuccessful first round. When we did the last bid, we did not receive any bids. Apparently that happens around 3% of the time, according to our uh, engineer, and uh, we're, we're just that lucky. So we're going to rebid it. We had a bunch of interested separate parties, but not a general contractor. So we're hoping that a general contractor will actually get it do the whole project for us with those several smaller parties. One final public hearing is scheduled for September 26th on a public improvement project requiring acquisition of agricultural land. Council members also approved an engagement agreement between the city and Allers and Cooney. Both actions were taken following a 10-minute closed session. Shenandoah's aggressive approach to eradicating dilapidated properties continues. Back in May, the Shenandoah City Council approved the bid of Southwest Iowa parking lot and maintenance for demolition of dilapidated structures at 201 North Broad Street. 207 Sycamore, 202 Wabash Avenue, 102 West Lowell, and 102 West Summit. 
All but one of the properties has been torn down within the past two weeks. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen says each structure was abandoned and targeted for demolition. If we can have a house and, and it, it looks like it's going to be able to be rehabbed, that's a different story. But when the roofs are, are gone and uh, the foundations and so forth, and there's just no way of saving these homes, the only option is to demolish them, get the property you know leveled off, uh, bring dirt in, and then make them purposeable to get them out to uh, hopefully sell them. McQueen says each property posed a nuisance to the community. Now, a lot of these properties can be a fire hazard. You know, most of them have had the power shut off and so forth, but still there's the possibility of uh, somebody getting in there, you know, and so that's a concern. Uh, the other one is if they're getting to the point where they're falling in and so forth, we can't be responsible for somebody going in there and, and getting hurt. So plus they're, they're a habitat for rodents and everything else that we just don't need. City officials plan to use money from that $3 million GO bond to replenish the city's demolition fund. Other projects here, Mart, include the purchase of a new rural fire truck, purchasing property for the city's new wastewater treatment plant, and removal of ash trees in the community victimized by emerald ash borer. Clorinda officials want a little more time to review potential payment adjustments in a property lease with an area broadband provider. Meeting in a regular session Wednesday night, the Clorinda City Council tabled action in a property lease with Farmers Mutual Telephone Company at 101 North 15th Street. The space on the northern end of City Hall had previously been occupied by the Farm Bureau. Following negotiations with FMTC CEO Kevin Cabbage, City Manager Gary McLarnan says the broadband provider is seeking a 50-year lease. They would start out paying $1,500 a month for the lease, and then every January 1st, starting with January 1 of 2025, that lease amount would go up 2% every year. So when you sit and look at it, I, I went through and did all the calculations, you're looking at about a $1.55 million total revenues over the years to the city. McLarnan says he was unaware of ever having an agreement that long with a renter. However, if FMTC prepares to expand broadband in the region, McLarnan says they plan to use this space as their hub for the immediate area. They are planning on putting fiber optics equipment in just, just on the north side here. So they, that would be their hub for Clorinda. So they're planning on doing, uh, putting a lot of dollars worth of equipment in there. That's why they want a longer lease because they won't want to have to come in in two or three years and have to move it all. Councilman Jeff McCall says they should have some language in the agreement to review the base payment and rate adjustment periodically. I like the company and I, 50 years doesn't bother me. I don't like getting locked into the rental price or the lease price. That's what the thing that bugs me because we don't know what's going to happen. 50 years is a long time. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think it could be reviewed every 10 years of fair market value or something like that. While acknowledging 50 years is a long time, Clarinda Mayor Craig Hill added they would be providing a service to the community and guaranteed revenue for the city. McLarnan says he would review the document and take it back to FMTC regarding the reassessment every 10 years before bringing it back to the council at a future meeting. Recycling fees are on the rise in Red Oak. Meeting regular session Monday night, the Red Oak City Council unanimously approved the second reading waived the third and adopted the increase
raised to $2.90 on residents' monthly utility bills from its current $1.45. The move comes after the city approved a one-year agreement with Batten Sanitation for Recycling Services, which includes hauling the recycling containers just off of East Washington Avenue to the recycling center at the Page County Landfill. Red Oak Mayor Shonda Sylvia says the rate increase accounts for increased costs for recycling services. We currently charge an amount on our utility bills for the current recycling services. The cost to the city has increased by 2000 a month. So this is to help us cover that cost. Lynette Bruce is vice president for Batten Sanitation. Bruce says they only asked for the increase in the agreement to account for rising costs on their end to transport the bins to Page County. The only reason we've asked for this increase is because they're charging us $100 per load. And on top of the $70 per ton, and we're just trying to cover our costs. So I saw yeah. people think that we're just trying to get rich off of this or something. So I just wanted that to be known out there. Batten Sanitation is also one of the multiple companies offering trash collection to services in Red Oak, including town and country. In other business, the council unanimously approved an updated job description for Bill Dietering as code enforcement officer rather than nuisance and animal control officer. Sylvia says the change comes to align better with the new responsibilities that Dietering is taking on. Bill's taking on some additional training with building inspection and fire inspection, but also with code enforcement. This gives him a little bit more authority to go on private, on property throughout the whole town. Silvius adds Dietering would keep his current animal control duties. Red Oak Fire Chief John Bruce, whose department has assisted in the training, says Dietering is primarily focused on home inspections as part of his job. And that wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This Week in KMA Land is a presentation of KMA News.